Thanks, Skylar team. Good job. Notice the sequence of that last verse. It's because God saved our soul. Uh, it prompts a response from us that we would love to go into his arms and, and respond. So uh, special welcome to you. My name is Ed Sutter. I am one of the pastors here. So if you're visiting from outside, we have taken a break from our regular series, which is the God Man series. It's going through the Gospel of Mark. And in two weeks from now, we will be picking that back up and bringing it to a conclusion right about Easter time, so some good timing. So we have a few uh, sessions here for the holiday, the adoption series, and I'm preaching uh, this morning. And so I decided since we are end of the year, end of 2017, on the verge of a new year, which gives us a time to take a step back and communion... I was drawn to 1 Corinthians 11, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 11, so you can turn there, but particularly what I want to focus my thoughts and comments on that verse in 28, where it says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. This idea that we are invited to this self-examination. And it's good that we have spots in time that we slow the clock down long enough to contemplate uh, self-examination. Now, I'm not naive in the things I say here and the way we practice communion. We're not going to look at this passage of Scripture and have a great revelation, and you are going to have the time to do a significant self-examination. But my goal really this morning, one, is to set the table uh, mentally, spiritually for communion. But also as we go into 2018, we would rise or raise the level of consciousness about this invitation towards self-examination. That we would engage in it uh, more frequently in a healthy, in a biblical way. That is productive. That is uh, going in the direction that God intends it here. And it's for that purpose I want us to look at the context that 1 Corinthians 11.28 is in. So if we are going to do self-examination, we do it the right way. Because there's great danger in talking about this passage of Scripture, self-examination, to a, a large group. Because my experience, there are two types of people in a group like this. There are those who are overly sensitive there are those who, if they have an idea of self-examination, they already know they're going to fail. They have what might be called an overly developed sense of conscience. They can feel guilty about things that are not even their fault. So as I talk about self-examination already, you may be feeling pangs of guilt. But then there's the other extreme. Those who uh, are not sensitive enough. Those who... Uh, They never see themselves, if they took a self-examination, they'd never see themselves coming up short. Or if so, I won't even spend the time. It's never their fault. It's always other people's faults. Rather than a sensitive conscience or an overly developed, they may be hardened or cold. And whenever we get entrenched in these extremes with the idea of engaging in self-examination, we, we tend to view it negatively. And consequently, we don't even want to go there lest 
we have to incur the challenges of those two extreme positions and therefore never benefiting, never uh, drinking in the richness and the purpose, the design that God has built in that he calls us to this, particularly at communion, but not just at communion. Romans 12.3, I like how it, it says, uh, so that we avoid the two extremes. Romans 12.3, think of yourself with sober judgment. That word sober means sincere. I like to say it, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too lowly of yourself. But think rightly. Think rightly sincerely, with sober judgment. So in preparation for communion and to make the most of 2018, both spiritually, but also relationally, because what I talk about will apply to any community kind of setting, to make the most of it, let's look at Paul's teaching on communion and self-examination. But keep in mind, especially if you tend to go to two extremes, the end goal is not self-examination. That is not the end. It's a means to get to the end. The end goal is to glorify God, particularly in the context of 1 Corinthians 11. The end goal is to glorify God through the building up of the body of Christ. The purpose of self-examination is not what am I getting for myself, but how do I become what God designed me so that I can contribute and build up rather than tear up. How I can sew together what might have been divided. Where broken pieces can become part of a whole and thereby glorify God. That is why we are commended here in 1 Corinthians 11 to engage in self-examination. So let's look there. Uh, Get your Bibles. Uh, Let's look at verse 17. We'll kind of go verse by verse, and we're going to culminate with uh, communion this morning. 1 Corinthians 11, 17, 34, written by Paul. Paul is a missionary pastor, a church planting pastor. He's he's, uh, planted these churches He has a pastor's heart for all of these churches he's planted. So he always has his ear out to hear, how are they doing? Are they healthy? Are they going in the direction that I intended? And most of them do not. They all have their challenges because people will be people. And 1 Corinthians is a good example. Or the church at Corinth is a good example of this. Verse 17, but in following the instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for better, but for the worse. So this church, as dynamic and as powerful as it is, they're having relational problems inside the church. Some versions, rather than saying, but in the following instructions, it says uh, directives. A little more heavy-handed, these words that Paul is trying to awaken the Corinthians to notice He gives a a heavy enough um, expression because of what follows. We see in context, he's not happy with the situation. Things are worse. 
you're doing more harm than good when you come together. It would be better that you had not come together. Let's not fool ourselves. You know, it reminded me of that song, uh, In the old days, Alan, in the old days, you know, they will know we are Christians by our love. Well, now, to a large degree, that's true, but I've heard enough stories of those outside the church that say the reality for them is they will know we are Christians by how we quarrel and fight. We do more harm than good when we come together. Some of you may have experienced that at Christmas time. That's why I say really what we talk about is really relational, whatever communal groups, whether it's work or uh, home, uh, certainly the church. And that is, uh, at Christmas time, sometimes the tension amongst families are so great, you know, you might have to get mentally prepared. You know, is Aunt Susie going to be there? Or if Aunt Susie, or whatever the name, that was random. Is Aunt Susie going to be there? Um, because you know the challenges. And often you think you're geared up and you're prepared and you go and Aunt Susie is there. And sure enough, things erupt. And the family is torn down. And because of that, some of you will choose not to even go. Some folks will not come to church because that's what they feel is going to happen to them because of prior experience. This is going on in the Corinthians church. And we go on here then in verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, and church is ekoglesia, that just means those who are called out, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, you identify with Jesus Christ, you are called out into this communal, this corporate body that we call the church. In the first place, when you come together as followers of Jesus Christ, you've been called out, what we call the church. I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. So in other words, Paul's getting these messages, communication about the church. He knows some of them may be exaggerated. They may not all be true, but there's enough truth there that it warrants his sending this letter to them. There are divisions among you. Schisma. We get schisms from it. Now, I don't believe this is over fundamental doctrines. This is Christians in the church. They're becoming divided. And it's not over, uh, was Jesus Christ God in the flesh? It's not whether Jesus Christ's death on the cross was a substitute for you, you should have been there. It's not over whether Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We know this because the context. They had several things that was dividing the church. In chapter 1, verse 10, there was divisions coming over loyalty to certain teachers, Paul and Apollos and Cephas. There's nothing wrong with uh, gravitating to certain teachers or pastors or leaders or teachers, you know, personality styles, will all gravitate to them and appreciate and maybe be ministered to differently, but it shouldn't divide the body of Christ, where we become so loyal to a particular leader that we will choose to divide the church. 
over that leader. I hear that there are divisions. They're not fundamentals. But then I find it very interesting on verse 19, even though there are divisions, verse 19, for there must be factions. My version says factions. Uh, Other versions may say differentness. For there must be factions among you, that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So in other words, with a body like this, there's so many differences. There are going to be different groups and preferences. I understand that. Don't let that divide you. And in fact, the nature, the fact that within a communal group there are differences, it allows a genuineness to rise to the surface. Because what happens when you don't get what you want? You got a battle. You got a battle on your hand when you don't get what you want. Am I going to be a good team player? And again, we're not talking about fundamentals here. We're talking about personalities and preferences. Your commitment to the person, does it exceed your not getting what you want? Differences within the body are good because it gives us a chance to work out and become more genuine. And that's true of any setting. That that may be recognized. Tension of differentness, true character rises to the surface. Whether a person's motivations within a body or communal group is for love, and I mean is for power or popularity, or is it to serve? to be faithful to the cause and the purpose that God has ordained. It's at times like this, this genuineness works itself out or you won't survive. You'll cut and leave. Then we see what the problem is here in verse 20 through 22. Here's the problem that the Corinthians, you know, one uh, in chapter 1, it was loyalty to a teachers. Here it has to do with wealth. Uh, we got a widespread here uh, of various wealth distribution. Verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. In the New Testament church here in Corinth, they had what was called the love feast. The Lord's Supper, or communion, came out of the love feast. If you look at the implementation when Christ was in the upper room, it tells us while they were eating, they were enjoying a meal together. And while they were eating, Christ took the bread. It was part of a a bigger communal gathering that was going on at the time. And some who had riches, who had plenty of wealth, would come with their food that, again, it was a communal meal. And this was more prevalent, certainly, in this culture, not just within a church setting, but all sorts of associations and groups 
uh, the significance of a communal meal where they would bring their food. And, of course, they would bring in a proportion and uh, the type what they could afford. And so this might have been the picture I have up here is what uh, the first folks who gathered came to came. You know, it was considered the rich folks. They didn't have to work the fields. They had much more freedom of time, leisure. So they would come, they would put out their food, and then that group would devour and enjoy. They would enjoy to the point of losing sight of anyone else coming maybe a little later, because then it tells us there that uh, they would eat their food, and one goes hungry, and another gets drunk. So the rich would eat, they would have their fill. Apparently there was plenty of wine, they would drink and get drunk. And then those who came later had less means to contribute to a communal meal. Uh, Show the next slide what it might have looked like when they got there. It's kind of hard to see, but meager. I mean, that's a bummer. (laughs) That's a bummer. I mean, I I would feel bum about it. But, But... you know, what's worse is the slim pickings. Look what's going on here at the end of verse 22. You know, this practice of having the tables of the haves and the have-nots, the, the plentiful and the uh, less than, you are despising the church of God and humiliating those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Don't you get it? What shall I say to you? It shows division. Show both slides there and show this what's going on in the church. And it's really reflective of what people have in their head. The food table is just reflective of what's going on up here, how they view other brothers and sisters in Christ and how they measure and bestow value on people. You know, it, it made me think, um, just a little humorous kind of sidelight example, what I thought might be a correlation in the here and now. I'm a University of Oregon graduate, and just occasionally I get a call from a student representative asking for money, and, you know, so rarely, rarely, maybe I'll throw $25 their way just out of guilt and, and be noble, but it gets you on their uh, list of being a donor. And like I talked to somebody else, once you get on the list, you get all of these uh, requests and and opportunities. And so they invite me to the the donor's banquet down at the U of O, alongside of Phil Knight, who's just another donor. He's a donor like me. We're both donors. We both have the name donor. But, you know, he gets there before I do, and... and probably who knows how many others of his uh, income, and they eat, uh, uh, you know, that, from that one table. I get there, and I get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, you know, eating the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know, that would be bad. But if I hide it and get to my table because of you know the, the shame I, I feel in light of what everybody else is eating, uh, you know what I'd say? I wish I never came. In fact, I'm never going back. I know how that game's played. You know, I tried to find a picture, you know, what would this look like where where there's no division? There's factions, there's differentness, 
but it doesn't lead to division. And so show this other picture. I couldn't find one in the real world, so I had to find the animal world. Uh, it's kind of hard to see. I hope you can see a little better than I. We're not annoying. We're not pretending there's not differentness. We're not pretending, but we're doing our spiritual work up here. We're doing a self-examination of our thoughts and our behaviors up here so that when we come together, it's not polluting our relationship to the point of dividing. Verse 23, we'll come back to to 26 because that's the actual institution of the Lord's Supper. You know, 1 Corinthians 11, the portion of Scripture we're looking at is the first passage in the New Testament where we see the Lord's Supper communion being implemented in the local church. You know, Christ instituted in the upper room. But a lot of our understanding and practice of it in the local church comes out of texts like 1 Corinthians 11 and the book of Acts. And this is the very first, first one. And so we'll come back to the actual institution like Christ up there in the, in the uh, upper room when he offers it to his disciples. But we're just looking at this idea for right now, self-examination. Verse 27 Okay, for whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, this has created a bunch of consternation, this idea of an unworthy manner, because there are two ways you can take this. Uh, um, some translations will say, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily, unworthily, they put the emphasis on the individual person, the attitude. Sometimes what you may hear, unconfessed sins. Okay, yes, it's good to confess your sins. You know, Scripture, 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins, and he will forgive But this passage of Scripture is not in context of the individual. Uh, More accurately, both from the context but also the uh, Greek construction of it, the reading I gave it is more accurate. It's not about the person, but it's the manner. It's how you go about the actual practice. We just rehearsed the way they went about the practice showed Humiliation, an expression of despise, the way you go about it. We are all unworthy to come to the Lord's Supper. We all are unworthy of that. We need to understand that. That is true. What we are invited to do here is to examine, are there ways that I go about, whether it's the Lord's Supper or let's just say life, my attitudes and belief that divide me from people. I break people up rather than bring them together. This uh, goes on to tell us then, let a person, verse 28, this is where we're told, let a person examine himself then. 
and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let a person examine himself. This is the testing of metals, this word for examine. See, like I told somebody this morning, we are a mixed bag. We have both good and bad in us. We have nobleness, but we also have the opposite of nobleness. This examine ourselves invites us like like metal for the impurities to be taken out of it. That we have time where we reflect and examine ourselves. God, are there some impurities that I believe that are expressing their way through my behavior that actually divide me from other brothers and sisters in the Lord? Or divide me from family members. God, help me to see it. Because I don't want to. Examination, why we may not engage in self-examination, might be because of the pain and the hurt. But the benefits demand that you do that work. Because it's about taking brokenness and making it whole for the glory of God. It's keeping the glory of God by the building up of the body of Christ that prompts us to pay the price of the examination and the confession and making things right. If we have been institutions of of division with others, not differences. We're talking about divisions. Uh, So examine yourself and then eat the bread and drink the cup. So even as we participate this morning, this is just the beginning step. I'm inviting you uh, both uh, as communion, the expression of your heart. Lord God, as I take this communion, I I want you to continually to examine my heart. Not just today, not in the few five minutes before communion, but ongoing into 2018. Not that I become over-analytical. Not that I become under-analytical. But that I would have sober judgment. That I would think rightly about myself. Verse 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You know, I I like this idea. God gives you the opportunity to administer self-judgment. Don't you prefer that than somebody else coming up and saying, oh, you know, you have this attitude in you. You know, you are being divisive because. See, he's honoring us, inviting us to acknowledge this about ourselves because you should be the authority on yourself. Everybody else is guessing. That is why many of you are weak and ill, verse 30, and some have died. And again, depending on the spectrum of you are, if you're oversensitive, uh, you may be afraid to participate because of this verse here. But again, in context, it is talking about the division, the manner of which the Lord's Supper. It's not about the person and the character. Yes, you need to confess your sin, but this particular context is the manner of how the church was practicing the Lord's Supper. It was creating divisions. 
to the point where it says you despise the church. And it doesn't say that everybody who, um, you know, eats of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, you have disrespect for the Lord's Supper, that you're going to die. It says some. So we need to come at it with a soberness of honoring our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, verse 31. I, I see here three levels that he invites us to. Three levels of this uh, self-examination and, you know, judging yourself. Uh, verse 31. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Uh, you know, I'd rather judge myself than have Connie, my wife, judge me. I mean, I'm sure with all of us, we're, we're constantly being judged by others. But the best is for you to judge yourself. Second level, 32. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. So there's another, you know, you don't judge yourself. You don't make it right with God. God loves you so much. He will confront you. Because he loves you so much. He wants you to be an agent of wholeness, of, of taking broken pieces and making it whole. He doesn't want you to have to go through Christmases where your family is so fractured and divided. He wants you, whether you see it or not, he wants you at least to become an agent that helps bring about the possibility of a miracle happening and that family coming together in a wholeness that you never could have believed about. Uh, he's not to tear down that's not why examination and judgment. It's to build up. It's our own negative thinking that sees it as uh, tearing down. That's the world's way. Look at the very end of that, verse 32. First, we can judge ourselves. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. Lastly, so that we may not be condemned by the world. The world will destroy you're not measuring up. You are a problem. They will divide. The world will divide. So then, my brothers. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Uh, let's... Um, bow and the worship team can come up um, worship team can come up and again let's not be naive the, the intent of this morning is uh, it's not as though we're going to do a self examination that is complete we're just inviting as busy as life is to take time in our lives, certainly starting this morning, towards a desire to allow for self-examination so God can speak, that with increasing measure, we will become agents of wholeness. So let's bow and I'll pray. Lord God,
God, if there are people here who are overly sensitive, they have such pangs of guilt about things that really are none of their doing, release them from that. Release that, re- release them from that so that they can have greater freedom to hear with what Scripture says is sober judgment. Those who are calloused, they think, oh, that's who I am and it's other people's problem. God, if increased sensitivity, may you reveal that as we examine our own hearts. So God, we reflect your glory by a church united. No divisions, but yet factions. And we find that hard to do. As we continue to uh, pray, I, those folks who uh, were going to take the meal together because I felt it was appropriate. It says there in that last passage there, um, when they all came together, they participated together. So those who are helping to serve, come on up to the front now at the tables. Uh, let's let the music and a time of reflection, but we will... I'll pray and we'll pass the bread, each one. I ask you to just hold on to it. Just hold on to the bread. They'll get it passed to everybody who we're offering this to you. You don't have to take communion. Communion is for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. It represents his body where he says he took the bread and he broke it and the blood which has been shed for you. It's a realization that we are dependent on Jesus Christ. So we'll pass the bread, hold on to it. We'll come up as an expression of this unity, not divide it, but together we'll all participate in the eating of the bread together. And then we will pass the cup. So let me pray for the bread and then we'll, we'll pass it. Father, God, we are in more dire need of your grace than we realize not only for ourselves then how we view other people so both the the quietness of this moment Lord and in the preceding days may we engage in this examination so that you reveal what's true about ourselves that we can glorify you by building up in Christ's name Amen go ahead So again, while Jesus Christ uh, walked this earth, he's getting towards the end. He goes up to the upper room, and he has this last supper. And I was just realizing as they were passing out the implements, there you have these 12 men who are following Jesus Christ. And there was one, one that was divisive. And we read that solemn warning uh, about divisiveness, and notice what he does. He goes out and extracts himself from the group and takes his own life. The 12, the 11 remaining, Jesus Christ says, I love you and I'm going to offer myself for the purpose that you will glorify God by the building of the body of Christ, not being divisive. So 
I will offer my body for you in the days ahead like he has done for us. So take, eat in remembrance of me. Likewise, then he takes the cup and he says, the cup represents my blood, which is going to be shed for you. And he invites us to drink. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice on our behalf. Because we were lost, we needed rescuing. We could not rescue ourselves. Thank you for coming to the rescue in your sacrifice. Amen. Result of Christ's death, breaking of his body, shedding of his blood, we have freedom. So he says, drink this in remembrance of me. In closing, I got a prayer for you. And that is starting with what we've done today. As we go to the future, 2018, God, for me and all of my friends here, may we all enjoy the increasing uh, excitement of self-examination because it will bring glory to God and it will take broken pieces and make them whole again. May you find great delight as you engage in that pursuit in 2018. Help us, God. Amen.